as I do every one of these shows. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. Uh, joining me from Oahu is Richie Norton, and Richie has written a new book called Anti-Time Management, Reclaim Your Time and Revolutionize Your Results with the Power of Time Tipping. We are going to be getting into that with Richie. Richie, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing so good. I'm so grateful to be on here. You're always so good to me. Thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> it is going to be a lot of fun. And and he was just out uh, paddle boarding with some friends for all of those who are listening from all over the world. And he said in Oahu right now, it's uh, 9 a.m. in the morning, beautiful uh, time to be out paddle boarding and it's beautiful weather. Um, I'm going to start off, Richie, with letting people know a bit about you. You can find Richie at richienorton, com. There you can learn about his blogs, his books, his podcasts, coaching, speaking, consulting products, and so on. So I'd encourage everybody right off the bat, if you want to learn more, go to richie, R-I-C-H-I-E, norton.com. Um, Richie is an award-winning author and serial entrepreneur and executive coach to CEOs. He's featured in Forbes, Bloomberg, Business Week, Business Week Inc., entrepreneur in Huffington Post. Um, recognized Richie is one of the top 40 of the best and brightest young business people in Hawaii. He is one of the world's leading thinkers at the top 100 coaching and is honored by the MG100. He is, we were just talking about uh, Marshall Goldsmith just a few minutes ago. Um, he is the C and co-founder of The Product and an Inc. Magazine 500 company, a global entrepreneurship solution, helping businesses go from idea to market and full service sourcing, product strategy, and the end-to-end -end supply chain. He's the author of several books, including Anti-Time Management, the one we're going to be talking about today, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, and Resumes Are Dead, and What to Do About It. Richie was born and raised here in San Diego, not too far from Encinitas here, before moving to Brazil and then Hawaii. Uh, he's married to Natalie. They have four boys, uh, one son who already made his way to heaven, which we'll be talking about. And they've uh, cared for three beloved foster children. They live on the North Shore of Oahu, Hawaii, with their little dog. Is that Valsi? That's right. <laughs> I got that right. Yeah. Hey, very cool. <laughs> Well, you guys now know enough about him. You can look him up on the internet, but let's get into this book because given the times we're in, the just strange times we're in, Richie, um, you know, time is something that everybody has a limited amount of. Uh, I lost two brothers these last two years. Um, finitude is part of our lives, as you're very well aware. Um, and... The whole concept, not to bring this in, is, you know, death, fear. A lot of people fear it. Um, and you start the book off with a very intense story. Uh, you intertwine the losses in your life and how it has affected you. Um, and you have many different losses, but you also gained richness as a result of those losses in your life. And I love the way that you took something not so great, and turned it into something good. Uh, can you tell some of the stories, including that ballistic missile, missile uh, text that you got when you were 3,000 miles away from your family, and express to the listeners why today is my everything 
And that's Richie's mantra. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So time, T-I-M-E, uh, today is my everything. That's become uh, my mantra to help me to make better decisions, you know, based on, on what I want, what the situation is, who I'm caring for, what I want to influence, impact, uh, contribution, those types of things. And I, by the way, I just love that you've read the book. So, you know, it's, it's brand new. It's not, you know, as, as we speak, it's not out yet. It'll be out soon. People can pre-order it now, but I love that you're able to get detailed. Just, just a side note. So thank you. <laughs> thank you're quite you so welcome. Much. I appreciate that. You know, it was weird. I was in Nashville, uh, for, for something and I get this random text. I'm having a great day. You know, it's a good day in Nashville. And I get this weird text and it's from the, the state of Hawaii. And it says, uh, I'm not going to read it word for word or say it word for word, but it, it was something about a ballistic missile on its way to Oahu. Uh, basically, at the end of the day, what, what everyone who you know, lives in Hawaii got a text was saying that we were all about to die. And there was a, there was a, a text at the, at the end of it that said, this is not a test. So in essence, it sounds silly now looking back, but in the moment, everyone in Hawaii was preparing to die in moments. This was not a test. This was real. And I called my wife, no answer. You know, when, when there's, when there's crazy things happening, the, the, the cell service doesn't work very well, right? Everyone's trying to call at the same time. It's, it's a disaster. She doesn't answer. I call my kids. No, no one answers. Finally, my, one of my kids um, calls back and uh, he, he calls crying and he says his goodbyes. You know, I love you, dad. You know, if you've ever, a lot of people don't think this and you probably shouldn't think this, but if you ever thought of someone saying their goodbyes to you, it's not something you actually will think will happen. And you're not thinking of it as some tragedy. Maybe it's, you know, it's expected, but this was real for him. And it was real for me. And it was real for a lot of people. And, and as a side note, there were people reportedly opening up manholes and jumping down inside to be sheltered. Like it was, it was crazy. Well, it turns out North Korea didn't want to blow up Hawaii. And it turns out that it was just an accident that someone sent this bizarre text message out uh, to the entire state, anyone that's uh, lived there and they have their phone number. And as I reflected on it, this is what you were talking about. It was weird because I thought about, yes, my, my brother-in-law who had passed away at 21 in his sleep out of nowhere, totally unexpectedly. I, saw, I thought about my son, my, my, my baby who caught whooping cough, pertussis, and passed away. I thought about the time when uh, our wonderful foster kids came. We were going, going to adopt them. You know, the way the foster system works, it's, it's, it's a wild machine. And when they left after two years of, you know, of care, that hurt different than death. In some ways, in some ways, honestly, worse because they're still out there. Things can still happen to them. We don't know where they are. Are they okay? Different feeling. I thought about Natalie, my, my wife, Natalie, she had yeah. a, she had a stroke, stroke, yeah, you know, a, a mini stroke and she lost her memory. She couldn't, she couldn't say our names. She couldn't read, you know, whatever was happening inside of her brain wasn't, wasn't coming out, you know, the way it would normally come out. And, and uh, fortunately I'm fast forwarding through this all there's all these stories have stories within stories. Right. But you know, she's okay now. She, she has her memory back. She's, she's thriving. 
I thought about my my son who was crossing the street on his bike gotcha. on, a high, on a highway. We, we live right next to the highway. We live by the beaches. It's just, just the way it works. And he got hit by a car. And the car didn't see him at all. Maybe distracted driver, whatever the situation was, did not see him, didn't even slow down. After he hit him, he slowed down, of course. But life is so short. And my son is, is like, he's okay uh, now, fortunately. He's, he's riding these big 20-foot waves out here, and he's, he's also thriving. But even though life story is, even though that saying is cliche, it doesn't make it any less true. And this whole thing is not just about life or death because some of the best lives have been short. It's about a life well lived. It's about doing your best where you are when you can with what you do and, and with what you have. But what was interesting is in the moment where I thought my entire family and my home and island was about to be blown up and I'd probably never be able to return, I thought amongst all the, the, the mesh of feelings, I thought at least we live without regret. At least we live without regret. Because you lived live a full life. With each of those, you can think strategically, you can think you can think tactically, you can think all these things as a business person. But as an actual just human being and not separating yourself into a million pieces of a pie, at the end of the day, when you start thinking about what's going on in the world and and where you fit and what you want and again who you care for, your contribution, those kinds of things, there's very few things that actually super matter. I get the butterfly effect. Everything matters. I get it. But the things that you can impact and you can make decisions on, the things that you can do, there's actually rarely, rarely that many things we actually care about or impact. So when, as this is all going down, I'm thinking about this, I wasn't trying to like live without regret. After each tragedy, I thought, how can I live a little better? How can I improve my best? How can I better my best? How can I forget myself but to have self-care and help others and each one of these tragedies stacked and then i started thinking i'll just we, we can get into all your questions but also fast forward like now i have all of my businesses that i've created i'm an entrepreneur serial entrepreneur have been designed around how to give people their time back so like you mentioned i have a business that makes over 100 different products at any given time for entrepreneurs everything from creating it to to fulfilling it and the whole process in between i'm not doing that for fun i'm doing that because that was the way i, I got my time back and I can give other people their time back. I do it with, I have a video company where we're editing for YouTubers that have over a million subs or more. I didn't do it because I know anything about editing a video. I architected that idea to give people their time back. All because I realized that the time I do have with my family, with my freedom, with my autonomy, if I can just create space instead of take it up, then I can lead a life without regret. Well, that's what this book is all about. And and you and I talked about this before. You know, Marshall Goldsmith, it's the earned life. He speaks from the continuum of regret all the way to happiness and fulfillment on one side. And I think that echoes pretty strongly in a lot of people these days. Um, COVID, the incidences, our economy, everything that's going on. Um, we're trying to find some equilibrium. We're trying to find some balance uh, because things have gone back and forth on this continuum, and that's part of life. Um, and your intention for this book is to create attention prioritization and time creation um, as a learnable skill. And you state that time management was designed as a means of wage rate setting 
not to increase the quality of our lives. Um, could you speak with us about the people first approach and how this shifts our focus out of the old time management practices, which, you know, go back to Deming and all the people that I studied in college, right? Yes. Yeah. Because that was, that was, you know, I have a business degree in business management and a, and a master's degree in spiritual psychology, which is kind of weird. But wow. the reality is, is that, you know, back in the olden days, it was time is money, right? That old cliche, that old cliche goes through. And I remember going to those classes, Richie, mm. and the time and motion studies that we would do yes. to actually track the steps of people so the productivity would go up higher. This world is not that way right now. So I love your book. I love what you're talking about. Talk about the people approach versus the old time approach. Well, I just got I got to tell you, I love everything you just said because 99.99% of people, not just in the world that I talk to, have no idea what you just said. <laughs> they they don't know they don't know that the way the whole time management thing was set up um the, the wage rate setting, the time and motion studies. They don't even know that term. They don't even know the term. Why would you? Like institutional knowledge, we want it to be sustained, but maybe within the organization and the way we work it, sometimes it's sustained. But every time a new person, not just a new generation, every time a new person comes in, they don't know why people were doing it that way. They have no idea. <laughs> so, so, so I appreciate that. And, and so, you know, I am a huge, uh, Edwards Deming fan, and I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a six, six, lean six sigma master black belt. Like I, I know this stuff. I know it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but right now you're actually shifting in a whole new direction. Even though you know it, it's not that you're leaving it behind, <laughs> Richie. It's that you've realized that you know this um, equal mindedness that we need to foster in the world today. Um, I was asking a guy the other day who runs this big company in Colorado. I flew there and he's multimillionaire. And just a long story short, he says, well, you know, I, I use the Toyota way, lean management, yep. the Toyota yep. way. Yep. And he's the only company that was there. But he says, you know, Greg, I have not found contentment in my life. Wow. And I said, well, you know, if Marshall and I speak about um, non-attachment and impermanence. Do you get that high achievers, when you start to talk about impermanence and non-attachment, don't even have a clue what you're talking about? It's not even in their realm because they're high achievers. That's all they've done. Okay. I know. I now, know. Am I going someplace that you don't want me to go? No, but what no, the, to no this, is, this, this is really good. I'm, I'm like putting like a bookmark in my mind of where to, where to, where to come back to to answer your question. But, okay. but I want to I roll this for a second okay. uh, because it's, it's just fascinating how this, is, this, is, this isn't the future, this isn't the past. This is what is. What happens is people will adopt business philosophies and apply them to their personal life as personal development. This is the way it's been for 200 years since the Industrial Revolution. This is the way it's been. And they don't know they're doing that. And they think it's the right thing to do. For example, normal words we use in like self-help, personal development, personal growth, whatever we call it today, are military words. Target. I'm on target. You know, 
we're, we're constantly using these eliminate. We're, we're using bizarre military words that we've then put into business, that we've then put into the personal development space. And you know what? Does it work? Sure. Is it, there's different words. People use efficient. That's sure. Is it effective? Maybe, maybe not. The word I like to use is that I think encompasses both and is a better, better aligned is, is effectual. Is it effectual? Like, like in, in, it does encompass all the things I'm trying to do. Okay. Anyways, anyways. No, no, I like that. But I was going to say, you know, people <laughs> use, look at goal is used all the time. Yep. But we don't always reach the goal the way we think. So if we're no. attached to the way in which we reach a goal, that's the biggest challenge that we face. I think you would agree with me. Oh yeah. And goal could be replaced with the word. Cause I have this debate with authors all the time around the language that we put into our subconscious to live our life that way. And one of those would be of what is my intention? That's now, right. I'd much rather use the word intention than goal, or I'd rather use the word aim than goal. Not that I have anything against goal. I have nothing against the word goal. What I'm saying is if you used aim or you used intention and you weren't attached, you certainly would be a lot more content <laughs> yeah. if you walked away from that, yeah. right? No, this is such a good conversation. Mm-hmm. I did my best. At one point in the book, I told myself, I've been writing this thing for years, you know, and you get, you get, you get more and more deeper and, and specific as the book gets closer to being finished. But I, I told myself at one point I was never even going to use the word goal in the entire book. And then I realized that's not how normal people read and learn. Like they have to have that word. And so I tried to develop a new vocabulary around different degrees of goals, you know, in, in through, through storytelling, through being specific, through different ideas. But at the end of the day, I, I, I discovered that a goal, c- c- people use the word goal to brush their teeth every day <laughs> yeah. in the same breath that they use it to make a million dollars. Like, please, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same thing. <laughs> What's your goal? Brush my teeth every day. What's your goal? Make a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> Different things. <laughs> I get right, it. Right, right. I get all right, it. Right, right. But to me, a goal from experience is a task. You've done it before. Do it again. A goal outside experience is growth. These are different types of goals. And then we can talk about different ways we talk about goals. I'll I'll get into that. But let me jump back to the idea of where this idea of time management versus anti-time management came from and this philosophy of of time tipping methodology that I've developed. It's a whole framework, by the way, which you know, but we're going, I'm going wild now. I'm going wild. Okay. So back in the day when time management was invented and it was invented and they did call it scientific management uh, for marketing purposes. No one thinks it's not scientific. No one, no one thinks it's actually scientific. Now, back then they go, yeah, because I'm studying it, the time motion studies that people don't even know if that exists. What time motion studies people don't know, the idea, literally the example, you can find them on YouTube, I think, old, old films about it um, or talking about it. They would watch somebody move a brick all day long. And then they would say, oh, this guy is faster because he sets the brick stack closer to him and he moves his arm this much instead of that much and so they start getting so specific to how close you should sit to the wall or stand next to the wall where should your little shovel thing be for the cement how should that was time management so i'm going to fast forward to today for a second then i'll go back again it's bizarre to me that even the word time management itself has ever entered the vernacular of personal development 
It literally makes no sense because it was specifically designed to take your time, never give you time, never once. It was designed to measure every drop of blood, <laughs> sweat, and tears that a worker did so that they could exact all the strength out of every individual for every second to make money. Exactly. And, and then you go, oh, you yeah. You say uh, that in the book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I'm managing my time, and I don't feel like I'm getting anything done, or I don't feel like I'm fulfilled, and I don't think – I feel like I'm out of control. You're like, yep, yeah. that's the way it was designed. <laughs> yeah. yes. That's right. So it's, it's funny to me when we try and tell ourselves we're going to – and we wouldn't know. Unless you do the research, you wouldn't know. It's funny to me that we use tools that were designed for something else and expect them to do something different that they were never designed for. Yeah. So, so, so anyways, anti-time management goes, so let's make it super simple for a second. Time management isn't about controlling time. Time is, it's, it's its own thing. The word management is control. That is, the, they're the same word. So when we talk about time management, it, the real question is who controls my time? In time management, they control your time. In anti-time management, you control your time. In time management, they tell you what to do. In anti-time management, you tell yourself what you're going to do. Now, there's some blending. There's some crossover. You can decide when and how and where this all works. But in time management, they took up space. In anti-time management, you take up space. Mm -hmm. That's your chart. You have a chart and graph in the book. For all of those who uh, get this book, and I hope you all do, um, he makes this very simple through some graphs, some charts, um, some depictions, and I think that your visuals, by the way, are excellent. Oh, thank excellent. you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. No, so, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate. Well, when that. you compare and contrast things between old and new, or the new way you could look at something, it always gives people a great perspective. And you do that. You compare and contrast. Um, so I liked that. And it's not. It's not that time management is the boogeyman and evil in and of itself. It's a, it's, a, it's a great tool for what it's designed for. It's that when I, I'm frustrated when people think and believe they are doing the actual right thing to get them the actual right result, and it never will. Mm -hmm. What do you think coaches and consultants are for? They're literally to come in and go, Yep, that's not going to work, guys. <laughs> right. Right. Here's here's the other way. Want to think about this for a second? Right. So you know what I mean. That's that that's what we're doing here, and it's been fascinating to me when I when I pair all the life stuff. What do we really want out of life with all the business stuff? These aren't necessarily. They don't have to be in contrast. We already know what it looks like to sacrifice your personal priorities for your professional ones. That's the way most people have worked now for 200 years before, before we moved from the farms to the cities. This is the way it is. But today it's a different – not only is it a different circumstance, a different world, a different environment where we have more choices, but the problem is we're still adopting these 19th century, 20th century ideas and applying them to 21st century ideals and opportunities. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. And so that's what anti-time management is for. That's what time tipping is for, is to help people navigate this, this new world. Here's how, here's why, and here's what you can do about it. And um, all The challenge is, is that your book, and, and you're somebody that knows this, and I'll just say this right up front, the book isn't for everybody. It's a target market of people. 
specifically. In other words, if you look at your avatar, who's going to gobble up this content, because there's still a big part of our population that no matter how much we try and kind of move it along, they may want to, but they're not going to get there. Now, you might be able to open their minds with this book, um, but it also might be quite a reach as well. Um, and that being said, I, I know that doesn't offend you because no. you you know this, you know this as a writer, you know, it's like, okay, I sell a million copies of these books and there's 7 billion people on the planet. Exactly. I've reached the million people that I needed to reach. Um, you know, you speak about how to work in the post-management era. We've been saying this. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that looks like? Because yes. I think people, word pictures are really important. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you say all this in the book. What does that look like, Richie? And if you would speak about the work-life flexibility, in particular, the elements of availability, ability, and autonomy, and what is a time tipper, okay? So I know I put a lot in that question. No, you're good, you're good. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get it, trying to get it. a lot out in the, in the I got in it. time we have. Let me, so I'll, I'll tell a story, and let me preface the story with this. Uh, we talked earlier about, you brought up the word intention. Um, I found that it's a, it's a it's a good word. It's a better word than a lot of a lot of others, but sometimes intentions are our worst enemies, and sometimes attention is our best friend. Okay, because you can be totally you can have all the intent in the world and never get it. Like I can intend to coach my kids' baseball team and never do it, or I can attend to my kids' baseball team and be coaching immediately. So the idea is to stop managing time, start prioritizing attention, and then another thing is. Gosh, I can make a whole list of these, but the, the it, it's, but that's a big one, Richie. Say it again. Yeah. Stop. Stop managing time. Start prioritizing attention. And prioritizing attention is the key. I love it. I love yes. it. And when I wrote, just side note, my last book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, it blew up. Brene Brown did a blog post about it and went wild. It's in 10 different languages. You know, I got amazing endorsements from you know, Steve Forbes, Seth Godin, Covey, uh, Jack Canfield, all these wonderful, you know, mentors, heroes, heroes of mine. And what I learned was I thought, I thought it was for a certain demographic. I thought it would be certain age groups, certain, you know, dynamic, certain situation. I'm, I'm shocked that it was people from all ages, all backgrounds, all over. And I was like, well, then what brings them together? What's the glue? It's a psychographic. It's not a demographic. Mm -hmm. And I, re I really think that this, the, 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 the people that will resonate with anti-time management, I think anyone can apply it to their work or personal life or, or anything, but it's a way of thinking. It's I would, a way of thinking. I would agree with you. And sometimes it's a short journey to take the shift of perspective. And sometimes it's a longer journey for people. It takes a lot of practice trying, you know, um, I had the, the honor of being four hours in George Leonard's living room, the guy who wrote the book Mastery, and he's also the guy who uh, co-founded Esalon in Big Sur. Mm. And George, you know, one of the things that I remember about his book, because I was just doing it, was practice, right? Mm. I'll just say the word practice. Mm. And for many of us, it does require that if we're on one track and where it's, it's like a good coach telling you, hey, I need to hit the ball differently. 
yeah, I need to practice hitting the ball differently. I will tell you, your book is about taking new concepts and practicing and ingraining them. Because the only way you're going to make this shift is if you read Richie's book, read it again, read it again, and read it again, <laughs> and then really get it. I like right? that. Um, because yeah. I, I don't think this is a once pass through. No. Your book is too deep for a once pass through. Uh, and, and I'm just not, I'm not warning my listeners. I'm basically saying, listeners, if you really want to get off the track you're on, Richie's book's going to help you get off the track, but you need to practice. I love that. I love that. Yeah, man. I, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, that's a great endorsement right there. I love that. <laughs> You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. Well, let, let, let's make this real for a second. Um, okay. There's a so lot we're of talking examples. about availability, ability and autonomy and what time tipper time. So, I tipper. Do, so people talk about work-life flexibility all the time. And, and I've noticed that now that corporations are losing um, people or getting them back, they're identifying the the way they're attracting or losing talent based on work-life flexibility this is a big thing right now right yeah. you, they talk about the great resignation they talk about whether this is real or not there's a there's a whole debate but a lot of times it comes down to this idea of work-life flexibility and so i i started looking at it i started realizing wow it's really interesting what we saw during the, the pandemic is i give you work-life flexibility you can work from home oh and by the way you need to have zoom on for eight hours of the day so i can look at your face that's not work-life flexibility, man. That's just a longer leash. So as soon as like, corporations start incorporating work-life flexibility as a way to monitor you, tailorism, digital tailorism, and, and be able to control you, it's lost the flexibility aspect. It's just work. <laughs> so beware, beware. But work-life flexibility to me defined uh, is three things. Availability, are you available? Yes. Ability, are you yeah. capable? And then, um, you know, do you have the resources? Are you, do you have the skill set? and autonomy. Can yeah. you make the decision or you have to ask somebody? And it, there's various degrees or grades, you know, within that of, of, of what you're trying to do. But ultimately, if you're not available, do you have flexibility? Of course not. If you're not able, are you, do you have flexibility? Of course not. Do you, if you not, if you don't have autonomy, do you have flexibility? Of course not. That doesn't mean you still can't have flexibility. It just means, and you don't have to be 100% in all three of those things. You can always outsource. You can always delegate. You can always change the way you're working. But once you identify the degree to which you have those factors in your life, you can improve them. They can. I, I think you're right expand. on. And by the, I want to add on question. You know, when I, when I talk to Stephen Covey and I work inside of companies helping them culturally and you know you get this command and control versus trust and inspire which mm. you know Stephen M. R. Covey's new book trust and inspire and one of the things is accountability now you talk about autonomy I say that the more accountability or however you want to talk it because still inside these companies they're looking for accountability and you could contest it would would probably uh say that's true to get your autonomy though and have the ability and to have the you know what you're talking about what comment would you make there because this is this is a real challenge that's why Stephen wrote the book it was trying to get more companies to have trust and inspire versus command and control well and this old school of time management was all about command and control right that's right 
Yeah. That's all that's all it ever did. Yeah. I think we have to remember too, we're we're standing on the shoulders of giants. We we are are the people that came before us. I have to assume in many cases they wanted what we have now. It's led to this opportunity. But there's these old archaic structures that are fighting back in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You know, so we're very fortunate to have it. No one likes to be told what to do unless they have a hard time knowing what to do. And then there you go. You don't have a problem with that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I like the word accountability is a, a great word. But in my head, when I hear accountability, I hear that I'm accountable to someone else. Yes. I, I prefer the word responsibility. I'm responsible I, to make it happen. I like it. And uh, like for, so like your, your work-life flexibility, you can't wait to be gifted it from your boss. That doesn't work. You right. are responsible for your own autonomy. It's not a gift from some dude in a corner office that's been there for a hundred years. It's not, it's not a gift from that person. This is your life. <laughs> so let me let me give you an example and everyone goes well i can't i can't i can't like well, just let's ask some better questions to get some better answers because you can and maybe it will happen over time or maybe it'll happen immediately but as we're talking about coveys you know covey would say you pick up one end of the stick you pick up the other so when people feel like they're stuck it's like who made you stuck you made yourself stuck no they did you chose this job you spent 10 years at school and decided to take a hundred thousand dollars a year to do exactly what you're doing. Whose fault is that, man? <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, like, right. Please, wake up, wake up. Stop playing the blame game. So I love the trust and inspire idea because the Cubbies never said, well, they, they, they said begin with the end in mind. They did not say begin with means in mind. Right, right. You, you, you delegate results, not means. So goals are means. Goals are tools. Goals are not ends. We've made goals ends unto themselves strengths are tools they're not ends are you kidding me we're obsessed with strengths but we know that corporations set up this whole strengths finder thing and it's a great thing in many different ways but when you read it and you go i'm good at three things guess what the boss man says you're gonna do those three things for the rest of your life you can't move laterally or upward or back like, this is what you're good at we're not here to teach you something new it, it, it's a whole thing man <laughs> Yeah, you're really stirring up the pot, <laughs> um, and I and I like that about this book because it gets you, the reader, to think. Um, you know, I want to ask you about this. Um, I know there's a time tipping framework, and that the time tipping toolbox is not there yet, not for download. That was a free time tipping toolbox, but you are going to give that to the listeners. Uh, later on right so, so if you go to richynorton.com slash time right in the in the moment that we're recording this because <laughs> because <laughs> you have the advanced reader copy right um uh it's just a, a landing page um yeah. but by the time you're listening to this it shouldn't be relevant anymore and uh, go to richynorton.com slash time and you'll have a whole toolbox of 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 work I don't even want to use the word worksheets. It's 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 more like it's it's literally like actual tools you can use to move from where you are to where you want to be with little tweaks to make. I was so it. looking forward to those, but you know <laughs> what? I'm gonna get them anyway because I signed up for it. So for all the listeners, go there and sign up anyway because you'll get your email and then he'll give you those. Um, it makes tools. me so happy just just getting people you know just just excited. <laughs> but if you're on my email list, you'll you'll get all the things you'd you'd ever want and okay, more. thank so, you. So I so had a guy. So do you want to talk about the time tipping framework, or yeah, 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 yeah. Let me, we move into the other question. 
<laughs> no, this is good. Let, let me let me let me frame the time tipping framework this way. I had a guy reach out to me. He's making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. He's an executive. To some people, that's a lot of money. To others, it's not. I get it. This is just use this as a metaphor. This is a real situation for a real person. And he says he hates his situation, even though he has enough money. He has no time for his family, and he wishes he did. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. He wants to yeah. spend about two months out of the year in Italy and have more autonomy. What's your plan, man? And he says he's going to start a gym, and that's cool. You know, he's an accountant guy. He knows how much, how long it would take to make the money back. You know, he's doing all the numbers, and he's like, "Yeah, but I need two gyms for it to be profitable." Like, okay, so he needs two gyms now, and uh, I say, "How long is it going to take?" His five years. Okay, five years. Okay, cool. And how old are your kids? And he says, 13 and 15. I go, okay, hold on. Uh, I was nicer to him than I am on this, this, this silly, uh, uh, you know, just explaining it real quickly. But I said, wait a second. So your kids are going to be 18 and 20 when you finally have time to hang out with them. <laughs> They're not going to want to hang out with you anymore. You know, like the, when the, that's the problem. Is, is they're, they're pro the problem isn't the accountant. The problem is, what are you accounting for? What are you held accountable for? What are you measuring that is you're going to decide as your success? And if you're measuring profitability to then have time, guess what? You're going to get exactly that, but you probably won't. It'll probably be worse. But That's if a you great story, if great you ba story. if if you bake in the sugar into a cake from the start, the cake will be sweet in the end. How can you expect to bake a cake with no sugar and have it be sweet? In the end, you cannot. This is what we have been fooled to think in time management. Do mm -hmm. these 10 things, and one day you'll you'll have this. Oh, really? And so in essence, if you bake in your personal priorities as a way to develop your business, as a way to have your professional priorities to support your personal ones, you will build a business different. You will build it in a way that creates time, not takes time. You'll build, a, you'll build a business that values your time instead of timing your values, which is a disgusting way for most people with value statements to live. I value this. I'll do it 10 years from now. Yeah, what? You, your, example, <laughs> your example is he was kind of doing it in the – he wasn't kind of. He was doing it in reverse. Um, and you're saying to rethink that. And I think that's what the book, again, and I'm refer back to it. So what it does, and you know, you have a great chapter. Um, and I didn't know this rapper uh, at all because I don't really follow rap music, mm -hmm. but it's the chapter on make, fi make final cause your first cause, how to choose what to do and when. Now this kind of goes along with just what we were talking about. And you tell the story about is it Sarah, Sarah, the American Sarah. rapper, Sarah? Sarah? And then I went and looked her up. I went to her page. I went mm -hmm. and looked at her pictures. I went to look to who she was, which is really compelling. I mean, to go from the streets to winning a Grammy. I mean, it's like, that was a great story. Explain why her story and what it teaches us lessons about life, time, struggle, and success character and courage, and also speak about the principle that we referred to, final cause. Okay. I love, thank you. 
Syra has been a, a huge source of inspiration for me. She's she's become a really good friend. I love her so much, and her story is uh, when you read it, it's crazy. It's she it's had a nutty family. She's out on the street, no nobody to go to. I it's, mean, she would have been one of those foster kids you could have taken in. <laughs> I don't know, but but <laughs> but, but the idea. Of, so, so people know this real quick. Final cause is a concept from Aristotle. So I went and looked at all the like history as much as I could, as far back as I could, you know, whatever on how people lived and the philosophies around time. There's a million of them, but Aristotle he called it final cause. He said there's four causes for something to happen, and essentially the the last cause was called final cause. This is where the thing is finished. So in essence, an acorn becomes an oak tree. But I looked at that and I go, okay, well, it, academics will use the example of a, of a table. They'll go, so you need materials wood you need uh if you're gonna make a table so you need some wood you need a design you need an agent or a person to put it together and eventually you have the table final cause and i look at that and go you know if your goal is to make a table that's great but what's the goal of the goal what's the purpose of the table what's the job of the table and if the job of the table is to be in your family for 100 years as an heirloom and whatever great but if it's if it's to host some some people at your house tonight you can do uber eats the table doesn't even matter. You don't. You know. You can go to a. You can go to a restaurant. You don't need to spend ten thousand dollars on some guy buying fancy wood who's going to do a fancy table and all this stuff. But we spend our lives doing the fancy table when all it would have taken was zero money, zero time. What's the goal? The goal, the essence of what we're doing. Okay, this is very important to understand because we are talking to this whole concept of of putting your values in from the from the start. It actually removes the bottleneck so the biggest bottleneck to uh in a corporation and also to um entrepreneurs and executives and employees is usually ourselves we're the bottleneck so when you put in your values the things you really want the reason you're working the essence of why you're working when you put that in from the start it makes you be creative with positive constraints to be able to do things in a way that enhances the life and the outcomes as opposed to being a bottleneck to them. Very different way of thinking, but extremely effective. Um, Syra, yeah, I met her. We, we, we were in Moldova. We were doing TEDx uh, talks. It was, it was cool. I got to know who she was, and as she told me her story, I was just blown away. So I had to have it in the book, and we've, we've known each other now and, and uh, you know, for, for, for several years. Uh, my family loves her. She grew up in a situation where she was selling her toys and things so that her, her dad could buy drugs. Uh, at some point, her dad had passed away. At some point, she was separated from her mom for, for, for whatever reasons, and she ended up being homeless on the streets. Right. Uh, she's eventually from New York. She's in, she's in California. She ends up in gangs. She ends up being raped several times. She ends up running guns. She ends up doing all these, all these things uh, to survive. This is all survival. This is all survival mode. And uh, one day she has this thought in her mind is you need to be a rapper. Now, instead of learning how to become a rapper, she goes to one of those places in LA where she stands on stage and starts rapping and they, and they boo her off the stage. And she does this, I think every Thursday. <laughs> yeah. I remember this part of the story. Until eventually some other, you know, people would know what they're doing they come to her and go what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and they they teach her all about being a human and being a rapper and just giving her the the love that she needed and uh, built her up and you fast forward and and yes she's now a grammy award-winning rapper but what's interesting about this whole story is all those things and i'm i'm just this story i'm telling in a terrible way it is so much better than i'm saying it's 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 a horrific situation that she turned around but what was fascinating is to the average person she went from not knowing anything to being it immediately mm -hmm. even though she wasn't it perfectly in the beginning acting from the dream not toward it made it so she didn't have a chance to go to some music class she didn't have a chance to go to some music school in the summer she didn't get a chance to go to some camp she didn't get a chance to go do all these things that a normal person would do based on goal setting right she said i am and she showed up and she became and in that sense, we all can do that. In fact, no matter how many steps you take when you act from the dream, when you say, I am this person, it's pretty clear in all the research that you are more likely to become that person mentally, emotionally, and show up that way. Well, there was a wonderful story for the book. And, um, you know, her story reminded me of Joseph Campbell a minute ago, The Hero's Journey. You know, the reality is that so many people go through life and they venture out and they have challenges and they fall and they fail or however you want to look at it. But the reality is they're learning lessons and then somebody comes up and picks them up and gives them some help and then they keep moving and they keep moving. And the key is, you know, as long as you don't quit, which she didn't, she just kept going and she kept putting one foot in front of the others. Um, you will ultimately get to where you want to go as long as you don't give up. And she didn't do it. And so that brings me to this quote. You have a quote in the book from somebody very famous, but it says, love and success, always in that order. It's that simple and that difficult, Mr. Rogers. Um, you state that time tipping puts your ultimate life choices at um at the center so that you can build your work around it and supporting and protective role like a moat around a castle speak with the listeners about the strategic moats and the economic moats if you would if you go the idea is build the castle then the moat right most people will start with a moat which is represents the work and they never get out of the work and never reach the castle. When in reality, castles in, in many cases are built first and then the moat to protect it. Okay. So if you live your life, you already know this now. If you're living your life with work as your center, your family and your time and your freedom and your autonomy and your availability and your ability to do whatever you want is on the fringe. But if you reverse that and put your autonomy, your availability, your ability, your family, your travel, et cetera, at the very start as your castle then you can choose and or create work that supports that. This is straight up not theoretical. This is actual living today. All you have to do is open up the internet to see a million people do it. Whether you like them or not, as aside from the point, it's happening. And it will continue fast forward. And it has to as AI takes over regular jobs. It has to be this way. 
what, what else are you going to do? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so get, get ready to be creative. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it makes us more human. Right. It makes us way more human. Well, it's, I love the little quote from Mr. Rogers and I love the analogy that you use between the moat and the castle to explain it. And I think for our <laughs> listeners, uh, that's a great chapter. Now, let me say this. Uh, the book, in my uh, opinion, is like an opus or magnum opus. And it's about a magnum opus around time management. But really, when you weave it in there, it's about Richie Norton's life and how he's expanded his consciousness to bring you a gift here. Everybody listening, this is a gift around anti-time management. Um, the book's filled with stories. It's filled with examples and ways to change your perspective about time. Even if you only move that perspective just a bit. And I'm going to show Richie something and only those people that are on YouTube right now will get this. But I'm going to show it to Richie because this is what hangs here. All day long in my office. Mm, that's, oh, wow. That's perfect. <laughs> okay, and this, and this little thing goes back and forth and back and forth. We really only have now. And that's what Richie realized. And, okay, all of the greats have talked about it. Buddhists, everybody. You know... <laughs> Uh, we got all the guy. Who was the guy that sat on the bench and wrote all the books and became famous about talking about now? But filled with stories and example. What three takeaways would you like to leave the listeners with today that they could apply in their life and would make a difference? I just want to say first, you thank you for listening to this and being open. That's I really appreciate that. Uh, but number one, I would, the belief that you can reclaim your time is really important okay because this is like it's it's almost like a time machine because you can you can look at your future and bring it to the present and you can look at your past and make up for the things that didn't work out that is what we're talking about okay i would i would also say whatever that idea that is pressing on your mind that just won't go away it's something you should consider paying close attention to and do something about it in the present even if it's something small because the idea in the book and for those that are on youtube that can see this the idea is that one decision through what i call prismic productivity there's that prism right there can turn to an array of possibilities one decision as they say can eliminate a hundred decisions but one decision can eliminate a hundred decisions and also create millions of desirable opportunities, projects, ways to do things. The sad news is most people are doing it the opposite. They're doing it. They're doing 20 things to try and create one result. And actually none of them are working out. That is the reality. Okay. Asymmetrical choices where one small choice can create many other things. And I would leave you with, with a question. What's the job of my, my goal that I have right now? 
What's the goal of the goal? What's final cause? What's the essence of what I'm trying to do? When you ask that question, you'll realize what you're actually working towards and realize that all the steps you're taking there may be able to just disappear because you can just do the thing and have many ways of making it happen. Most people, as an explanation, are doing what I call in the book, ghost steps. All these things are doing that make them feel like they're moving, but it's leading them into a phantom life, a life where nothing got done, nothing felt good, except for the random things that happened. Anti-time management creates an opportunity so that even when terrible tragedies happen, like they've happened to me, you can still make conscious, better decisions and have room to make them because you're acting from your dream. And even when your projects don't work out, you're still successful because when you work from the dream, the goal, the idea that you want, there is no failure. There's just different ways to try to make it happen. Well, Richie, I think embedded in that last three things that you asked or that you gave advice for people or provided your wisdom, let's put it that way. Um, you know, what was coming up for me was just this whole concept of quantum leaps. Mm. Um, the book is really designed, you know, if you look at quantum physics, you and I both know this, we're talking about time. There really isn't any time. It's a made up concept. Um, but we've had to have a time, a watch that says, you know, hey, this is what time it is today. Um, I always remember this from a Buddhist because I go to meditation retreats on the Orcas Island. And the guy that leads the retreats, Dr. Joel and Michelle Leve, a Buddhist monk came, and I'm going to leave it with this, this is around time. They said, hey, you came all the way over here from Tibet. What is it that you would like? And he replies in broken language, I want a watch. Can you get me a watch? And the guy said, well, I'd love to get you a watch. So he gets him a watch. And he said, why did you want a watch? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and at the top of his bed, when you get to sleep at night, as you know, many Buddhists do, there's a skeleton to remind them of death to remind them that they're living their life and knowing that there is only so much time. He says, because I want to understand how much time I have left. Now, we use this watch to determine how much time we really have kind of in segments, in quadrants and segments. And this gentleman's perspective was very large. It was like, what can I do with the time I have left? And I think what's important is if our focus is on the what can we do with the time we have left, your whole perspective changes. And for people my age, I'll be 68 July 3rd, you do start to reflect on what time is left. And for all of those right now who are purpose-driven, my podcast is all around helping people how much time do you have left? And everybody, we none of us knows how much time we have left. So do what you have to do today, as Richie says. Live your life, live to start, and start to live. That's right. Um, 
Richie, thanks so much for being on. I know you just got a cue from your wife. Namaste to you. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for everything. That was an amazing conversation. Thanks for thanks for for taking it deep with me. That that was really fun. Thank you. Thank you a lot. That was that was great. Appreciate you're, it. You're quite welcome. Enjoy the rest of your morning. Namaste to you. Talk to you <laughs> soon, my friend. All right. We'll see ya. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.